Tariq Woolen had a rookie season for the ages for the Seahawks a year ago. Where can he show growth the most heading into his sophomore season? Rob Rang and I are going to be breaking it all down in our latest second step, second leap segment here on Locked on Seahawks. You are Locked on Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, host of the Locked On Seahawks podcast, your daily Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Glad to be joined finally by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. He is back after he decided to be lazy and go out and fish in Alaska for a couple of days. Yes. <laughs> messing with you. But got himself uh, some big fish, got to see a few pictures from that trip. Looked like you had a blast. I'm glad you had a good time. I'm glad to have you back here for our Wednesday episode of yeah. the Locked On Seahawks podcast. As always, a special thanks to all the 12s out there for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week, whether you were in Rob's neck of the woods, woods listening from Anchorage, Alaska, or you're listening from the Bahamas. We greatly appreciate it. We're going to be taking a look at Rob's all underrated team selections for running back and corner. I made my picks on yesterday's show. Rob's going to be maybe a little sneaky with a few of his selections, mm-hmm. adding to his all underrated Seahawks squad. And we'll continue our 90 man countdown as well with numbers 45 through 41. So without further ado, Let's get to it. Now for your lead story here on our Wednesday edition of Locked on Seahawks. Tariq Woolen had an extraordinary rookie season. A lot of people thought coming out of UTSA that he was too raw to play on defense right away. He was going to need time to develop. Rob was one of those. I was in that corner to an extent, too. I felt he was going to need time to develop before he was ready to play on defense. And yet he was starting in week one. He was making big plays in that win over the Denver Broncos and Russell Wilson and ended up finishing the season, finishing third in defensive rookie of the year balloting, led the league with six interceptions, was among the top 10 in pass breakups, you name it. He was getting his hands on the football. He quickly became one of the best young corners in the NFL. And yet this is what makes this such an exciting segment, Rob, as good as Tariq Woolen was last year with the athletic ability, the six foot four size, the long arms. We just haven't seen a guy like this. He's like somebody you would create in a lab. Yet as good as he was, there are several areas where he has a lot of room to grow moving into his second season and beyond. This is far from a finished product. Well, that's exactly it. It is that uh, Tariq Woolen has shown a great deal of potential, but at the same time, and the opponents have had all offseason to try to, uh, you know, pick apart his game. And so, you you know, me, Corbin, I I sometimes will try to, you know, mix some sports metaphors out there. And uh, I think that the same way that there might be some Seattle Mariners fans who are a little bit disappointed in what Julio Rodriguez has provided in his second full major league season, I think that Seahawks fans should should be cautious in their expectations of what Tariq Woolen is going to be able to do in his second NFL season. There is no denying his athletic ability, his his size, his length, his speed, his explosiveness, um, and and just the sheer want to that he demonstrated. Uh, yes, last year. I mean, it was truly spectacular. Uh, I think that when we talk about the the most um, the biggest surprises. 
from the Seahawks a year ago. Certainly the play of Geno Smith at the quarterback position um, ranks uh, at the top of that list for a lot of people. But for me, I, I was even more surprised by what Tariq Woolen was able to do. Anybody who is watching on YouTube right now can see some of the statistics out there. As you mentioned before, Corbin, he was tied for, for first in all of the NFL with six interceptions. He only allowed five touchdowns all year long. This, again, is, is supposedly a very raw rookie. I think it's a, a, a testament to Tariq Woolen's natural ability and, again, that want to, that desire to uh, to take full advantage of his traits. But I also think it's a testament to Pete Carroll, to uh, the Seattle's uh, defensive staff for, for getting this young rookie onto the field and allowing him to take full advantage of, of his traits. He's a perfect fit in Seattle's system. But I think the fact that Seattle went to the well again, number five overall with Devin Witherspoon um, in this last draft, I think it demonstrates a little bit of, of their concern as well. They do want to keep pushing Tariq Woolen to make sure that he not only reaches his potential, but that he exceeds it and becomes the superstar. Absolute lockdown, potentially, you know, all-time great type of player that his dominant rookie season pretends. As you mentioned, the five touchdowns, that was tied for the ninth most allowed in the NFL. And so there's going to be plenty of people that look at that number and say, maybe that's why Sauce Gardner wins Rookie of the Year, not Tariq Woolen, because Gardner didn't give up five touchdowns, not even anywhere close to that. So that was really a big separating factor. That being said, I'm just going to say this right now, Rob. I looked at the five touchdowns that PFF charged Tariq Woolen, and I would maybe charge two of those to him. So I don't think he gave up five last year. I think if you're actually looking at the schematics that the Seahawks were running, and I've talked to a few players in the locker room about this during the season, there were times where certain players were charged that, well, somebody doesn't really know what we were doing assignment-wise there. There were a couple breakdowns in coverage. You gave up a long touchdown to the 49ers in one of the games that was clearly a coverage bust. But there were a few others in there that were credited to him that it really wasn't his responsibility. So I'll just leave it at that. I don't think he was as bad as that statistic indicates necessarily with five touchdowns given up. But what does worry me a little bit, I thought he was better as a tackler overall than I expected. That was a big weak point for me coming out of UTSA because he hadn't played defense very long. And you could see that in his college state. He was willing to come up and hit people last year. That surprised me. I thought he was going to be passive. He was aggressive going up and making plays, but he still missed 14 tackles last year. So that is still an area. And I, most of those happened in the second half of the season, whether it was because he was dealing with some nagging injuries or like any rookie, you hit a little bit of a wall. It's more games than you've ever played in a single season. His tackling became more shoddy as the season progressed. And then he had his worst game of the year in the wild card round. Brandon Ayuk toasted him several times. And I think that really goes back to, as you were mentioning, maybe the Seahawks, there's a little bit of concern with any organization. What can we do with him technique-wise to get him to that next level? Because as good as he is, that is still the area where he's not polished necessarily. And really savvy route running receivers that are great athletes like a Brandon Ayuk are going to have some success against him unless he is able to sharpen up his technique a little bit to put himself in better positions because he was left in trail several times against Ayuk in that playoff game. We had not seen many guys do that to him. So that is good teaching film for him. How, what can I work on here to get better? And obviously he's coming back from the minor knee surgery, missed the OTA is an off-season program, but he's expected to be ready for the start of training camp. Everything I've been told is he's ahead of schedule even for that. He should be well to go. 
good to go for that. So I think he's going to have his opportunities here to shore up some of those areas. He's obviously already a really good player, but as you mentioned, this guy has superstar written all over him because he's got freakish athletic traits, the size, the ball skills that we didn't necessarily see coming last year. This guy has already got all those tools and he's still trying to figure out what he's doing at cornerback. And, and it's exciting. And at the same time, as you said, second season, other teams have more Intel on this player. You also got to maybe hold your expectations back a little bit, at least from the outset. Hey, there could be some sophomore bumps because of that knowledge other teams have. In fact, he is still a somewhat raw player. Oh, he absolutely is. Uh, the, the route awareness, uh, it was something that, that definitely showed up against the 49ers in that playoff loss. Uh, you know, the, 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 sh the, the quicker twitchier type of, of receivers like a Brandon now, you think it's a perfect example, um, is always going to give a long lean corner like Tariq Woolen some problems. It's just, you know, simple physics. If you're taller, then it's going to take a little bit more time to be able to change directions. And so the way to counter that is to become more physical, um, to develop your route awareness uh but still the same ball skills that allowed Tariq Woolen to play at wide receiver at times his college career we, we saw that with the six interceptions I love that you mentioned that he was actually better in run support better as a as a tackler than I think a lot of us you know, I think reasonably could have expected considering his pretty recent transition from receiver I mean how many times we see him you know you know punching out fumbles uh you know blocking the the, the, the field goal or PAT attempts I mean he proved him himself to be a very good all-around football player rather than just the size speed freakish athlete that that he had been billed by by so many and, and so that to me is the most exciting aspect about it i didn't know if he had that you know the, the desire in, in his heart we knew what an athlete he was but if you're going to play cornerback for Pete carroll then you've got to be a hitter as well as a great athlete. And, and that to me is one of the things that I, I feel most confident about with Tariq Wool is he did show that he was a competitive player um, in that regard, a physical player. And so I think that there are still some areas in which we can work on there. Again, there's no question about that route awareness, open field tackling, uh, and, and trying to improve his ball skills that much more. There, there were some possible interceptions that, that he let get by him, but the instincts that, you know, being able to race all the way across the field to be to make some of the plays in which he made uh to me that that's some of the special attributes that i think could give the seahawks the confidence that with devin witherspoon the seahawks might just have the best young cornerback duo in the league yeah that's the scary thing about all this as we've mentioned as good as he already is the ceiling is really an infinity for a kid that's got athletic ability like this and already is developing instincts and that's the key he's developing them so he's gonna be fun to watch and Teams aren't necessarily going to be able to stay away from him because Devin Witherspoon is on the other side. And oh, by the way, he's a pretty darn good football player too. And that's an exciting development for this Seahawks defense. Coming up next, we're going to do a little way back Wednesday since Rob decided to check out of Throwback Tuesday this week. And he's going to be dishing his all underrated selections at the running back and cornerback position. Really looking forward to him diving into his players and maybe refuting some of his selections. Should be a fun <laughs> segment coming up next year on our Wednesday edition of Locked on Seahawks. This episode is brought your way by FanDuel. Take your first swing at betting MLB on FanDuel and get 10 times your first bet amount in bonus bets up to $200. That's right. Just bet 20 bucks and you'll land $200 in bonus bets, win or lose. That's 200 you can spend betting everything from the money line to the over-under that the Mariners might actually hit a baseball to who you think is going to hit the first home run. 
all on the app. That's safe and secure and super easy to use. Plus, when you win, you can get paid instantly. There's no better place to bet on MLB than FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. So sign up today and visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to get up to $200 in bonus bets. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. FanDuel, official partner of Major League Baseball. You're listening to the Wednesday edition of Locked on Seahawks. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Glad to have my coast in crime back in the saddle again, Rob Rang. And a special thanks to all the 12s out there, as always, for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. For our everydayers out there, we will continue our training camp previews tomorrow. We'll be looking at the linebacker position, some old faces and some new faces there, and how things look going into the 2023 season. You won't want to miss it. But first... We're doing something a little bit different. This was not originally on the schedule. It was supposed to be Throwback Tuesday, and both of us making our picks for the all-underrated team, and then Rob had to go catch fish in Alaska. So, Rob, we're going to give you a special segment today. It's way back Wednesday here on the Locked on Seahawks podcast, and you're going to get a chance to pick your running back and your two cornerbacks for your all-underrated team. I selected yesterday at running back Chris Carson going recent. And then I was able to get Terry Taylor as well as uh, trying to remember who the other corner that I had. I'm actually spacing on who the other Key, Key Simpson. Key Simpson, that's correct. Yeah, Key Simpson and Terry Taylor were the two that I selected. And there were a few other guys that I was considering, Willie Williams being another one. That was the name yes. that I had. And I'm like, I didn't even pick Willie Williams. But those were my selections. Now we get to hear from you, good sir, on who you are going to be taking. And let's start at the running back position. And sure. I have a feeling that you are going to pick somebody that has decent name recognition, but maybe didn't get as much as they deserved. Well, I think they can make the argument for basically a lot of Seahawks over the years, Corbin. Um, you know, and, and I, I love the fact that, that you mentioned Keith Simpson, Terry Taylor. I mean, those are two really good football players that I, I kind of grew up watching in, in the, uh, you know, basically all throughout the 80s, uh, late 70s. Uh, you know, good players, but I didn't get the opportunity to to really watch like all 22 tape and still and until we got to about the year 2000 or so and that's really where I kind of started making my name for myself as a NFL and and college football analyst and and just breaking down tape and there's a couple of corner or a couple of uh, of players that that really jump out to me that I think that just don't get the next the recognition they deserve whether it be at the running back position or or a cornerback I think the Sean Allen Alexander and Dave Brown, the Seahawks, of course, legendary running back and cornerback, both in Seattle's ring of honor among the 15 men that are in the ring of honor, 11 players, of course, the, the head coach, uh, Mike Holmgren, um, as well as Chuck Knox, and, and then Paul Allen and, and the legendary uh, unfortunately deceased uh, announcer Pete Gross. There's only 11 players in Seattle's Ring of Honor, so there, there's no doubt about it that that Sean Alexander and um, you know and, and Dave Brown are recognized by Seahawk fans. But I think that if I'm going to start this conversation right, and you just kind of gave me the torch, so I'm going to run with it. I, I think that with when you start having the conversation about the all-time underrated Seahawk running backs. I think, again, nationally, the fact that Sean Alexander has the numbers that he has and is not in Canton, I think it's a travesty. And so I, I, I gotta throw that out there right now, and then I'm gonna make. You're the throwing fuel in the fire here, Rob. Getting that started because you know where I stand on that. Well, exactly, and I just think that if, if he had played for anybody else in all of the NFL, um, considering the again his MVP status, the, the the fact that Seattle went to the Super Bowl, their very first Super Bowl appearance, of course, uh, you know. Uh, 
in large part on his shoulders. And that's with all due respect to all the other superstars during that era as well. But none of them were bigger than number 37. So, I, again, I'm just going to kind of mention that, and I'm going to do the same thing here at Dave Brown again in a moment as well. But it's actually the running back who's number two on Seattle's all-time rushing list, Chris Warren, that I really wanted to highlight here. Chris Warren came out of college. He played at Ferrum College his final year. Uh, at the college, but he, he played it at big time school. He was at the University of Virginia earlier in his career. And this guy who is six foot two, 230 pounds, Corbin. I mean, we're talking about the, the 1990s version of Derrick Henry. He was an absolute monster. Uh, you know, he, his 44 touchdowns with the Seahawks, 52 career touchdowns, 6,706 rushing yards in Seattle. Uh, 7,696 total rushing yards over his career. He was a three-time Pro Bowler, a two-time All-Pro. He had played for three different head coaches in Seattle, went from Chuck Knox to uh, to Tom Flores to Dennis Erickson. And, and if he had been the bell cow for just one coach and the Seahawks had any type of success, in the early 90s, I think that he would be a household name across the entire NFL landscape. Instead, I think that there are some, you know, some, some Seahawk fans out there, maybe with a little bit of gray in their hair, that certainly remember what a dominant player at number 42 was. But I absolutely think that he is among the most underrated superstar caliber running backs in Seattle's history. I think you could mention a bunch of other backs. If you wanted to kind of go the, the, the fullback route, I think that John L. Williams is criminally underrated. Michael Robinson's criminally underrated. I, I think that some of the other backs, Lamar Smith for me was the, the, the fact that he was not even a starter playing behind Chris Warren for much of his career and then becomes a starter in New Orleans and the Miami Dolphins later in his career. I think that you could make an argument for Lamar Smith as well. Chris Carson like, is an excellent uh, you know, selection for that. I, I just think that um, that when if people realize just how dominant of a player that Chris Warren was for such a terrible team uh, that he was playing for for much of his career in Seattle, then he would be much more well-known than he is at this point. From 1992 to 1995, Chris Warren, the only guys who had more rushing yards than him were Barry Sanders and Emmett Smith. That's just to put it in perspective. And, yeah. oh, by the way, he was playing with a team that couldn't find a starting quarterback to save their lives in those four years. Like, could you imagine what he would have done if Troy Aikman or even Scott Mitchell was Scott yep. Mitchell looked like a top five quarterback all time compared to some of the players that the Seahawks were rolling out at quarterback during that time. And yet he still put up those numbers. So I do agree with you from the sense that even though he was a pro bowler and he got all pro second team a couple of times, it still felt like he really was under the radar because he played for Unfortunately, some really bad teams that didn't have a quarterback on their offense. Now, going to the cornerback position. Before the show started, you mentioned Dave Brown, and I wouldn't have let you put Sean Alexander on there. I would have vetoed that as the host of Lockdown Seahawks because I think with the numbers, the MVP and stuff, yeah, he might be underrated nationally, but still, he got an MVP award. But the cornerback position – I think you make some very strong arguments for Dave Brown. So, sir, you can mention who the other one that you were going to select as his replacement was, but we are going to allow you to put Dave Brown on this list because it is a travesty that he isn't mentioned as one of the best corners to ever play the game. I mean, 15 years in the NFL, 11 of them with the Seattle. He was a first-round pick by the Pittsburgh Steelers the year before 1975, the year before the Seahawks became a franchise. Then, of course, the Seahawks and Tampa Bay Buccaneers become a franchise. Every team in the NFL had to – 
put some players kind of on the waiver process so that way they could you know the the new franchises could have you know kind of hit the ground running and the Steelers put their first round selection Dave Brown out there Seattle selects him they initially made him a free safety where he was very good and then they moved him to that right cornerback position where he was one of the best in NFL history it, as we said I mean it's a travesty that this man is not in the Hall of Fame uh you know 62 career interceptions to me that number when you think about that it is just absolutely mind-boggling uh the fact that he went to one pro bowl in his entire nfl career uh again i I think it's just criminal i I think if he plays in anywhere other than seattle absolutely number 22 would be in the hall of fame at this point um and and so to me it's just heartbreaking Uh, it is one that i feel even more passionate about dave brown being in the hall of fame than i do about sean alexander being in the hall of fame i think it is the biggest uh robbery in some ways in Seattle sports that Dave Brown is not more recognized throughout all of the NFL, but that's not actually, again, the player that I want to highlight here. I want to talk about two players. that are much more recent than a lot of our listeners are, are going to be much more familiar with. I'll start off real quickly with Shaquille Griffin. I think that Shaquille Griffin is a really quality football player that signed a big, big deal. It was a top 10 contract by a cornerback. That's why he left Seattle to go to Jacksonville and injuries have caught up with him a little bit, but I feel confident that you're going to see a much better Shaquille kill griffin this year with the houston texans then we saw the last two years the jacksonville jaguars when seattle selected him a third round number 90 overall a couple of years back i I just remember watching a player who had an elite speed he had everything that you're looking for he improved as a tackler as his career went on the only thing he didn't have was the one thing that dave brown had in spades and that being the terrific hands for the interceptions shaquille griffin you know does not have elite ball skills but he did everything else well and that's why i believe that you know He's one-time Pro Bowl. The next year actually had his his career high. I believe it was three, maybe four picks with the Seahawks. Still, if he had had more interceptions, I think that he would be more uh, universally regarded as one of the better cornerbacks in Seahawks history. And then finally, in terms of a truly, truly underrated player, at least in my opinion, I'm going to go with a cornerback who only had two, two career interceptions. That's Jeremy Lane from the Seahawks. There's... When the Seahawks lost the Super Bowl to the New England Patriots, everybody wanted to talk about the decision to throw the ball and, you know, whether it be Russell Wilson's placement, whether it be the lack of a block, uh, whether it be uh, not giving the ball to Marshawn Lynch. If Jeremy Lane doesn't tear his ACL after intercepting Tom Brady and being tackled by Julian Edelman, then the Seahawks win that Super Bowl. Julian Edelman and Tom Brady took over that game after Jeremy Lane was lost. And Jeremy Lane was covering Edelman like a blanket in, in that game. And once that injury happened, Seattle did not have very good depth in that game. They chose to use their extra spots uh, on their game day roster rather than a cornerback. And I think that is a decision that haunts the club to this day. And again, Jeremy Lane's injury in the Super Bowl, I think, had the sig- single biggest factor in the Seahawks losing that game. So in my opinion, Jeremy Lane absolutely uh, remains among the most underrated Seahawks of all time, certainly at the cornerback position. Yeah, him and Cliff Aver with the concussion in that game. Those two injuries really loomed large for the Seahawks when Tom Brady started taking over the game. Julian Edelman started taking over the game. They weren't doing that when Jeremy Lane and Cliff Aver were in there for obviously different reasons, the pass rush and just the slot coverage really being good. And I don't feel like Jeremy Lane was quite the same player coming back from that injury either his last couple of years in Seattle. But he was a player that was an overlooked cog 
in that Legion of Boom. Playing the slot also was a very good special teams player. So an astute observation by you for a player that from that really successful era maybe doesn't get the flowers that he deserves because of all the star power that was on that football team. You're listening to the Wednesday edition of Locked on Seahawks. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Glad to have Rob Rang, my co-host and crime, back in the saddle again. And a special thanks to all the 12s out there, as always, for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it for our everydayers. Tomorrow, we'll be looking at linebackers in our latest training camp preview and continuing our 90-man countdown. Speaking of 90-man countdown, we're going to really start diving into some familiar names, some intriguing returning players on the Seahawks roster. And Rob, who better to start off with than a player that, at least in my opinion, I believe is being set up to have a major role for this completely retooled defensive line, a player that has taken stepping stones from being a practice squad guy to just getting a couple of elevations off the practice squad to last year by the end of the season being a valuable asset on the defensive line, and that's Miles Adams. Yeah, I, of all the players on the, the holdovers from Seattle's defensive line, that I'm most intrigued by how they are going to uh, develop now that Seattle brought in Draymond Jones. I think it's Miles Adams because I really think that with Draymond Jones, he has power and he has quickness similar to Miles Adams. I, I think that, that Adams could be part of a rotation. He just certainly does not have the frame that you normally would associate with a line that often had three traditional traditional defensive lineman at the point of attack. He, he just is a little bit undersized for that type of a role, but he's so damn slippery. Um, and, and he's an instinctive football player. He times the snap beautifully. He, he plays with terrific leverage. Is much more powerful than his kind of sawed off frame might suggest. He's not the kind of guy that, you know, you walk into an NFL locker room and you see a man that is not just this hulking defensive lineman to see him compared to say a Brian Monet or Al Woods. I mean, it just looks like Batman and Robin, you know, kind of a thing. I mean, it's just a very different size and stature, but a really good player. And I, I love the fact that you mentioned that kind of his career arc, how it kind of, you know, started off as this lowly practice squad guy. And he is just every opportunity the Seahawks give him, he just continues to play better and better yeah. and better. And, and so I am very excited about Miles Adams and, and, and very curious to see how, how much higher his uh, career arc can go. And I'm actually interested to see if he checks into this nose tackle competition. And I, I know with his lack of size that some of our listeners are going to be batting an eye on that. But I've gone back and I've watched the games where Al Woods was out late in the season. And I thought Miles Adams played admirably at the nose tackle position. And part of the reason he was successful there is because he plays with such great leverage and He's a difficult guy to move off the line of scrimmage, despite the fact that he's not a hawking 330, 340-pound guy. But his ability to break double teams, that's maybe where he's improved the most since he came into the NFL, because that was a weakness for him when he first played in regular season games a couple of years ago. But watch the Jets game and watch him split double teams. There was a couple of times he got into the backfield after splitting double teams, and he did it from the nose tackle position. So I don't think he can play a ton of snaps there necessarily, but – I think there's a place for him, especially if you're looking for somebody to spell Cam Young. He's got the athleticism to play those three-tech roles as well. So I think that there's going to be a lot of snaps available there for Miles Adams as he continues that trajectory in this rebuilt defensive line. Speaking of trajectory, let's talk about a guy that I still am really high on. And Jackson Smith and Jigba coming to town is certainly going to limit his value a little bit on offense. But 
we saw Derek Young go from being a Division II prospect to being a seventh-round pick to early in the year just being a special teams guy, a very good one at that. But he had two catches late in the year. He played some snaps at fullback. And, oh, by the way, he did really well there. Had a couple nasty blocks for the fullback position. And he, again, continued to be dominant on special teams. I feel like Derek Young is kind of one of those wild cards that nobody's talking about. And D. Eskridge, he's trying to keep up with Jackson Smith and Jig, but, but you better be looking in the rearview mirror because athletically, Derek Young has the athleticism and more size. And so I think that he is going to be zooming behind, close behind, and he's going to be ready to take snaps if D. Eskridge is not available or is not able to rise to the occasion. I can still see 83 being a factor in a limited role on offense, playing multiple positions, and being a core special teams player. I agree. I, I'm excited about Derek Young's upside. I, I'm just very curious to see where Seattle uses him. As you mentioned, he played some fullback and, and definitely is going to be a core four special teamer for you. Um, I still see that kind of classic split end. I think that he is your primary backup to DK Metcalf, who the Seahawks have been so fortunate they have not had any time, any time that DK Metcalf has struggled with durability the way that he did at Ole Miss. And so that to me is where I think that Derek Young's value is the biggest to the Seahawks. I think he can kind of be a glue guy in a lot of different ways, but I think that one strain hammy or something like that, and suddenly Derek Young is your starting split end. And, and I, so that to me is, is a, a fascinating possibility um, because I do see the, the incredible combination of size and speed. And similar to what we talked about before with, uh, with Tariq um, with, with Tariq at, at the cornerback position, um, you know, you, Woolen was viewed as such a raw player. Same thing here with Derek Young, but we saw the improvement. You saw the sheer want to, to go along with the physical gifts a year ago. We started off today's show talking about what strides we might see from Tariq Wool at the cornerback position. I'm just as excited about the strides that we might be seeing for Derek Young, whether it be a wide receiver or again, the plethora of different plays or different positions the Seahawks might ask him to play this year. There's a lot of new faces in the backfield. Ken Walker III is one of the few returning players from last year's squad. DJ Dallas is the other one. And he's kind of become a little bit of a forgotten player. And for some fans, he's kind of been cast aside because, well, we've got Zach Charbonnet and we got Kenny McIntosh. We're really excited about McIntosh. And, and we on the show are really excited about McIntosh. Sure. We think he was a lot better player than a seventh-round selection. So that puts a lot of pressure on a player like DJ Dallas. And yet – Knowing DJ Dallas, he's been on our show a couple of times, speaking with him in the locker room, uh, one of the favorite interviews on the team. He is not afraid to speak his mind. And I can tell you one thing, if there is a guy in that locker room that is going to have an even bigger chip on his shoulder, I'm sure he's hearing the noise. He probably even read my recent article recently where I said, you know, his stock might be down a little bit because of these additions. And He's reading things like that, and he is using that to fuel his play. And you know after last year, he averaged 5.3 yards per carry. When he was called upon, he gave the Seahawks a punishing presence at the running back position. He caught several passes, and he is another one of their players like Jareek Young that's a really good core special teams player. So I have no doubt that DJ Dallas is on this football team. What it really boils down to is he going to be able to maintain that third down role with Kenny McIntosh and Zach Charbonnet competing against him there is he going to have enough with the pass protection stuff and running the football with those two guys having maybe a little better athletic profiles overall is he going to be able to stack up with them there he's going to be on this team for special teams but big question is where does he fit in with this new look running back room 
Well, and, and I'll push back a little bit on that um, in that I, I don't know for sure that, that he makes this team. Uh, you know, Seattle has traditionally gone with the three running backs. They could go with four. Um, I, I think I do feel very strongly that all four of Seattle's top running backs, the, the two rookies that you mentioned, Charbonnet and McIntosh, obviously Kent uh, Walker III and DJ Dallas, I absolutely believe all four of them are legitimate NFL caliber backs. Um, and, and so if it, I, I think there's a possibility, however, that, that not all four of them make Seattle's roster, that there could be a trade. Um, if there is not a trade and one of those players is cut, then there's no question in my mind that they would be picked up. Um, and I think that that is a, a great strength for Seattle that, again, we're going to be talking about a lot throughout the offseason. Uh, you know, the, the other thing about your the comments that you just made there that kind of makes me chuckle is that you, you, you kind of stole some of the words right out of my mouth. And that just kind of highlighting the fact that 5.3 yards per uh, uh, per attempt uh, just speaks for itself. Um, the fact that DJ Dallas played so many different roles is what he did. I think there's a lot of Seahawks fans out there, Corbin, who when they think DJ Dallas, they think of that the silly little touch pass in the end zone that obviously wound up being intercepted rather than going for a touchdown. And that's, I, I think, just kind of criminal in that DJ Dallas is a really good player. And, uh, you know, and the fact that he is somebody that has been kind to us on the program, I don't want that to come off as like, you know, a reason why I'm trying to tout him here. But we had a conversation a couple of moments ago about the most underrated running backs. And DJ Dallas is one of the names that popped into my head because I do believe that he can be a starter in the NFL. Uh, so again, I, I think that this is a, a very good football player, a guy that uh, should be somebody the Seahawks are going to keep but because they have such an embarrassment of riches at the position that it does make that running back depth chart one to very much be keeping an eye on. I do think that the special teams is going to be a huge sure. asset for him because they will keep four running backs if your fourth guy is a guy like DJ Dallas, who was a rock in all of those special teams units. And again, the importance of that third phase of the game for players that aren't starters cannot be understated. And I think when we're talking about special teams, unfortunately, this next player we're going to be talking about, I feel like that's where he is going to have to really cut his teeth right now, unless there's injuries in front of him. And really, the situation was created because of his own injury. And it's unfortunate because Trey Brown was so good in the five games he played in as a rookie. He looked like a potential long-term starter, and then he has that patellar tendon injury. He can't make it back till midway through last season. Mike Jackson is season starting job. Tariq Woolen is season starting job. Both those guys are going to be back next year. Then they draft Devin Witherspoon, fifth overall, and they haven't been working Trey Brown in the slot either. That would maybe be a better chance for him to maybe get on the field, but they haven't tried that to this point, and maybe they will in training camp, but – it just feels like he is now in a situation where he is playing from one of those depth spots. I think he's going to be safe on this team because he does have good special teams experience dating back to his time at Oklahoma. But this is that good problem to have rearing its ugly head for a guy like Trey Brown where there just isn't anywhere to play him right now. Well, I, I think there's everywhere to play him right right now. In my opinion, I think that the Seahawks should be considering him at that nickel quarterback spot. And I, I say that with all due respect to, obviously, the, the, the potential superstars in Tariq Wool and Devin Witherspoon, as we talked about so many times. And again, re, re, just recognizing the, the brilliant play a year ago from Mike Jackson, for, you know, journeyman uh, that, that comes in and really played good football for the Seahawks a year ago. And, and Kobe Bryant as well. And those are some really good football players that are currently probably ahead of Trey Brown on the roster. That said, 
I just remember what a player this guy was at Oklahoma, where all they do is throw the ball in the Big 12. I remember that kind of rat terrier mentality and physicality with which he played. It's it's funny, you know, 10, 15 years ago, if you said that a player should be a nickel cornerback, people took that as a slight. I mean that as the greatest of compliments. You have to be very physical and very aware to be able to handle that. I think that Trey Brown, quick. yes, I think that he can play outside. I think that he can play inside. And to me, that makes him arguably Seattle's most versatile cornerback. And so I, I think that he is, uh, you know, on the precipice of really kind of making his mark on this club. And again, I, I really am intrigued about uh, where Seattle is going to line him up. I, I am absolutely pounding the table. Similar to the way I kind of pound the table, I thought for years, Seahawks were ignoring the center position. I think that Trey Brown is a really good player that deserves his opportunities. And if they just pigeonhole him outside because that's what the Seahawks decide early on, that's where his best fit is, that might have been where his best fit was then, but they've added so many different tools uh, on the outside, allow him to kind of spread his wings a little bit and play some football. I completely agree with that, and I hope the Seahawks decide to go that route and have him compete against Kobe Bryant and Julian Love and those guys in the interior because I do think he's got the mindset and the athletic ability to be able to play that position, and you know he's going to tackle in the run game as well. We mentioned Miles Adams earlier capping off our 90-man countdown segment here, 45 through 41. A fourth-round pick being this high on the list, that's not normally going to happen, but Cameron Young basically is walking into a starting spot for the Seattle Seahawks because Al Woods is in New York. Puna Ford is in Buffalo. Quentin Jefferson's in New York. Brian Monet is trying to make it back from an ACL injury. The best fit at nose tackle right now is indeed Cameron Young coming from Mississippi State, a 320-pound guy that has played this position and is built to play this position much more than anybody else on Seattle's line, at least the healthy players currently. And so that makes him a far more important player than maybe some of the picks that were ahead of him in the draft because he's going to play a lot of snaps at a position that's important in this scheme. Absolutely critical to the scheme. And as you said, he basically is going to walk into that starting role, probably going to be competing for, with Miles Adams. Or if the Seahawks see some other bodies out there um, available in, in training camp, uh, veterans, I, I think that there is a possibility this is going to be another position they're going to be looking to fortify. But, you know, I hey, I, I thought Cameron Young was a terrific fit. We talked about him endlessly, uh, you know, prior to the draft. He was in the final mock draft that, that I submitted for, for the Seahawks. Uh, I had him go in the fifth round. Seattle obviously took him in the fourth. Um, but yes, I, I think that he's a clean fit in terms of his size, his power, his durability that he demonstrated at Mississippi State. You know, we talked about before, I, I thought that Seattle needed to get those kind of junkyard dog types. Uh, to me, this is Jaron Reed part 2.0. Um, I think that this guy is going to be playing in the NFL for all eight, 10 years, never going to put up the statistics that are going to get a lot of fans buying his jersey necessarily, but it's going to be one of those kind of those dogs along the line of scrimmage that you need if you want to be able to compete into the playoffs and later. That to me is what that we've already seen with Cameron Young, at least those of us who watched his, his stellar play uh, at Mississippi State over the last four or five years. And I think it just makes it that much easier to envision him being successful as a starter for the Seahawks as a rookie. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Subscribe and follow Locked on Seahawks on YouTube and wherever you listen to podcasts. 
to ensure you don't miss a single episode. Coming up on our Thursday show, we're going to continue our training camp preview, looking at the linebackers, some old faces, some new faces. Should be a lot of fun previewing that position group heading into a new season. We'll continue our 90-man countdown, sneaking into the 30s as we get closer to the cream of the crop, the top players on the Seahawks roster for 2023. You won't want to miss it. Thanks for listening in, and enjoy the rest of your Wednesday. Go Hawks!